Hey, welcome to the Happy Ranch Sports Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always in studio by my good friend, my partner in sports radio, Barnabas Piper. Pipe, we're going to do some backward-looking nostalgic stuff this morning, which is uh, one of my favorite things to do in general in life, but we're going to tell some stories about our best stadium experiences. So NFL, NBA, MLB, I got some weird boxing ones to throw in there. Um, so we're going to do some stadium-related storytelling, and uh, we're going to talk about how we came to be fans of our various teams. So yours is somewhat straightforward. Mine is a bit more convoluted in that I've moved around some, and I've kind of changed loyalties a couple of times throughout. So, well, and, you, um, and you didn't grow up in a place where there was like a team attached to your location, you know, like I, yeah. there wasn't, it wasn't a, you know, you weren't in the town of a professional team necessarily. So there was that's some, right. some, some choice in the matter, I believe. Yeah, there was, there was some agency on my part. And, uh, but it, in true Ted Cluck fashion, a lot of it is illogical and just purely <laughs> emotional. So um, we'll get into the ins and outs of that. But first Piper, we have to do some business, so let's take a break. All right. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. All right, so let's, let's go into how you became a fan of the teams that you're a fan of. And you're a Twins fan, you're a T-Wolves fan, you're a Vikings fan. Uh, this is all looking pretty straightforward. You're not a big college sports fan, but I feel like when I get college football texts from you, it's about uh, Minnesota football, the Golden Gophers, yep. who have a huge offensive line, and you know I love O-line stuff, and I love <laughs> running game stuff. So we, we get to chat about that a couple of times a year, which is fun. So talk about your sports fandom, how it developed, what role like other people played in it. Yeah. So <clears throat> I grew up in Minneapolis, right near downtown, and yeah. uh, uh, about four or five blocks from the Metronome, which no longer yeah. exists, but was kind of the defining, looming sports presence of my childhood. So that's where the Vikings played. It's where the Twins played up until, I think, 2010 or 12, something like that. Yeah. And then... Um, it's where the Gophers football team played as well before they mm-hmm. built TCF Bank Stadium a few years ago. And so um, it was, it, I mean, I would have had to actively try not to be a Minnesota sports fan. Yeah. Just because, like, I lived in the purple glow. You know, you, yeah. you could hear, I remember the 91 World Series when the, oh. uh, when the Twins were playing the Braves standing in our front yard. And hearing the roar from the dome. So it's an enclosed stadium that was so loud that you could hear it from five city blocks away. 
Dude, that's incredible. I want to do a second on that because I love all stadiums, but I especially love old domes, old inflatable roof domes. I love AstroTurf. I love whenever I run across a clip from like the 90s Vikings or whatever, like the 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 turf in the Metrodome looked especially kind of cheap and shoddy to me and that like the the lines were always kind of blurring and they were hard to see, but I love it, man. I love old dome stuff. And the fact that you grew up that close, could you see it from your house? Could you see like the looming expanse of the Metrodome from your home? Not, not really. You can so you can see the replacement, U.S. Bank Stadium, yeah. but they the the dome was really low slung. So yeah, when you would you when you went in at ground level, well, basically yeah. ground level of the dome, you were walking into the upper deck. Yeah, the Hoosier Dome was the same way in Indianapolis. Yeah, so for mean, sure. so it was a bowl dug down into the ground, and so it it was a pretty low profile stadium. You could see glimpses of it, but it wasn't like this massive hulking presence. Like U.S. Bank, where the Vikings currently play, which sits on the same property, mm-hmm. uh, is is probably three or four times as tall. I would guess. So it, yeah. it's a very different thing. So yeah, so I grew up I grew up watching all those teams. The Timberwolves didn't come into existence until 1989. So I yeah. was. I remember their inaugural season. Actually, they played their inaugural season in the Dome, too. So the the Metrodome was really a pretty seminal thing for my childhood. I remember going to a game, their inaugural season, against the the Seattle uh, Supersonics and Mm -hmm. watching, I'm I'm pretty sure it was that year, watching Sean Kemp uh, absolutely destroy somebody. That was a lot of fun. Um, Oh, man. Sean Kemp, legend. Yeah. And Um, and I grew up. I grew up in a family that wasn't a huge sports fan. Family. My oldest brother right. was a big Twins fan. Yeah. You know, he generally followed the Vikings, but big Twins fan. My two middle brothers didn't really care at all. They were big into soccer, so I played some soccer growing up. Yeah. Um. But I just latched onto sports as I think from like age seven, eight, nine years old. As like I just loved it, and Kirby Puckett yeah. was a huge part of that for me. You know, oh, I was yeah. a short squat kid and he was a short squat, awesome baseball player. And I was like, oh, this is, <laughs> yeah. this is my man. Yeah. It was so easy for us to go to games because it was when upper deck general admission tickets were, were like three and four dollars. So oh, I yeah, could mow the baseball, lawn sure. and go to a twins game by myself when I was, you know, 10 or 12 years old. My parents Dude, would let me walk incredible. down there. Yeah. That's so incredible. It, it was, it, it was really like pumped into my veins and then, yeah. You know, then you have some of those seminal experiences. The 91 World Series was one of those. Mm-hmm. The 97-98 um, uh, Gophers basketball season when they uh-huh. went to the Final Four, which has all been erased because of academic scandals, which in retrospect ah. is really funny that, yeah. that the NCAA was so pious about those things, but whatever. Dude, show me a program that didn't have academic scandals. Yeah. I mean, really. Like, it's a, it's ridiculous. No, the difference is that the Gophers broke the cheating... The, the, I'm sorry, they, the rules about talking about cheating. They yeah. Somebody somebody narked. That's really yeah. what it was. Every team cheats at yeah. that level. Um, the Let's see. I got to go to Gophers games growing up because I played City League football in elementary uh-huh. school and middle school. And and the Gophers had a program with like the Minneapolis City where they would provide tickets for like eight bucks to yeah. to families, and so oh. got to go see them play some. And so Dude, I just, I was so in the awesome. Metrodome, I, I probably hundreds of times. I played there a couple times, and yeah. I, let me tell you, the turf as bad as it looked, it yeah. felt worse. 
Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it was, absolutely. It was like running on a Brillo pad, and it felt mm-hmm. a lot like that when you got tackled, too. Um, absolutely. Man, that's incredible, Pipe. So let's do, like, real quick, I want to say a thing about Minnesota uniforms. By and large, really good uniform experience across the board. Like, when the T-Wolves hit the league in the late 80s, early 90s, whenever it was, they had a really nice uniform. I've always kind of enjoyed the Vikings uniforms, uh, with the exception of that, like, early 2000s episode that was yeah, pretty hard to look at. They did a mid, yeah, um, early mid-2000s thing with, like, some panels and stuff. Yeah, and like the Troy from- Williamson era, yeah. you know, not yeah. great. Um, but, yeah, by and large, and, and Minnesota football has had a good uniform, even though they were sort of... The forgotten program in the Big Ten for most of our lives. Well, they were really bad for my entire upbringing up until the Glenn Mason years when they yep. they they became a consistent bowl team. And I bet you loved that team because it was like, we're going to pass the ball eight times a game and I we're going to hand off team. to Marion Barber and Lawrence Maroney. And they had yes. a guy, a quarterback named... Uh, I want to say his name was Tariq Abdul Wahad, if I remember correctly. Yeah, no, you you are remembering correctly. And, uh, yeah, I was going to bring him up. Real mobile, real good mobile quarterback, better, much better runner yeah. than passer. And yeah, they just they they had multiple thousand yard rushers. Those teams were fun to watch. I think it was genius too because they knew that they couldn't try to play like Ohio State and Michigan and be competitive. So they were just like, we're going to do one thing really well, and that's kind of where they've kind of fallen now, you know, in that they're back to gigantic linemen, run game centric. I think it's wise. You know, I think it's wise for a school that's never going to pull, you know, five stars from all over the country. Um, you got to kind of money ball a way to be competitive. And, well, uh, and they've been interesting at that. And like the N- so like the NFL, if you have a great quarterback, you can do some exciting things in college. Well, the Gophers yeah. have, haven't had a great throwing quarterback in my lifetime Mm-mm. they had a they they played a style of offense in the mid 90s there was a guy named Corey Sauter who played quarterback I remember Corey Sauter yeah they, they had these wide receivers uh Tutu Atwell yep. not the guy who just got drafted out of Louisville I'm guessing related mm-hmm. but and then Ryan Thelwell and yep. they chucked the ball all over the place and they lost a ton of games like 45 to 42 so th- <laughs> yeah. those, are, those are fun teams to watch yeah but Sauter was never an NFL quarterback. They haven't put a quarterback right. into the NFL like ever. And so, yeah. yeah, they they have they've become scheme dependent kind of, but it's worked yeah. because they're like, you know what we have a ton of in the Midwest? Huge dudes Huge who eat a lot dudes. of corn and can bench press a car. So let's go exactly. let's go use them. That's basically yeah, what, I mean, it's like what I was done better yeah. than anybody for the last 15 years. I was done it, Wisconsin's done it. It's almost like a modified version of service academy football where, yeah, you're just kind of gaming a way, a, a way to stay competitive. And, I mean, let's be honest, when you're in Minneapolis, you're not going to recruit, like, the fast guys from Miami to come up to where it's winter for nine months, you know, especially now that you're playing outside. Um, it's a tough sell, but they've they've done a good job of kind of staying relevant and competitive. So let's go... Each of the Minnesota sports teams, I want you to give me like favorite player. Um, oh man, okay. Over the years, yeah, I might cheat and give you a couple. Sure. Um, so let's start with baseball. Um, my two favorite twins ever were Kirby Puckett from childhood and Johan Santana from like college and early twenties. Um, yeah. I have 
pitchers are usually not my favorite player to watch because a great mm-hmm. pitching performance is like it, it's so subtle. Yeah. Um, but Santana was just absurd. He won two Cy Youngs, should have won three or four, got jobbed mm. a couple times. Um, but yeah, those mm. are my two favorite twins in my lifetime. There have been some other fun, great players, but definitely yeah. those two. Um, Timberwolves, um, I mean, Kevin Garnett is, and there's not even really a second place. Um, yeah. Anthony Edwards could become that, but Kevin Garnett came into the league in 1995, yeah. uh, straight out of high school. I yep. was in middle school. Yeah. And it was the perfect combination of me becoming a basketball fan because of this. I mean, he was just a kind of a unicorn of a player in terms of the size, the style, the talent, the intensity. And what a blast. Just a fun narrative, too. Like a guy coming right out of high school with these freaky skills to like play for your team, you know, when you were young. And it was Um, so obvious that he, like, there have been a lot of good players across, not too many players give everything they have to their city, to their team, the way that he did. Like he, everybody in Minnesota loves Kevin Garnett. Yeah. Even though he left and won a title elsewhere. Like we all were like, yeah, we understand. You gave us the best 12 or 13 years of your career. We couldn't get it done. And then we were thrilled when he won with Boston. Like it was that kind of love and appreciation. Absolutely. Okay. I'm going to put you on the spot. I got a follow-up question. All right. You have to pick a T-Wolves white guy. Between Wally Zerbiak and Tom Gugliotta, who do you have? Oh, Googs for sure. Two handsome white guys in, yeah. in the same franchise. I think um, I think Wally played at the wrong time. Um, yeah. I think if Wally had come into the league ten years later, he yeah. he just he would have had Kyle Korver's career kind of thing, where yeah. like yeah. sweet shooter. Uh, he did a lot of mid range because that was a game then, but yeah. really a pretty good three point shooter. But yeah, he was just kind of. He was a disappointment because he was he was a, one of a litany of guys who were supposed to be KG's like second man, and he wasn't quite yeah. good enough. He was just a role player. But Gugliotta was on that Marbury Gugliotta Garnett uh, team for like it was only like two years they played together, and yeah. man was that a fun team. And he was just he was just a great all round player. So yeah, definitely Gugliotta between those Googs. two. I love it. All right, favorite Vikings. Um. Okay. Well, John Randall is my favorite Viking ever. Um, oh, what a fun player. And he he was a little bit like Kevin Garnett in terms of the on-field intensity, you know. Yeah. He had, he was, you know, did like the war paint thing where it's like running down his face constantly screaming absolutely bonkers. Yeah. Um watching him get in fights with Brett Favre remains just a heartwarming memory for me. I want everybody to get in a fight <laughs> with Brett Favre, so Yeah. Um, and he, I mean, he was a, a Hall of Fame dominant player. Um, yeah. Aside from him, I mean, Randy Moss was the most fun Vikings player to watch sure. ever. Yeah. Just yeah. because he's one of a kind. In they're, they're having him and Garnett in the city, kind of at their peaks at the same time, was yeah. awesome. Just because you have these two guys, you're like, there's there's not another player in either league like these guys. Yeah. And uh, Moss even more so. You know, I would say he's probably the best wide receiver ever in terms of talent. And yeah. Jerry Rice is the best ever in terms of, you know, career. But, uh, yeah, absolutely special player. Came into the league in 98, had that that run where they, they went to the NFC Championship game and broke all the scoring yeah. records and just, yeah, it, he, was, he was incredible. Yeah. Jim Kleinsasser, probably my favorite Viking. Of all time. Oh. Or Randall McDaniel. 
Yeah, we that's a, that's a tough call. There's there's a group of friends I had in high school. So you know, we all went to church together, and then it was like during Viking season, it was go to church. Who's whose house are we hustling to right after church to catch most of the Vikings game? Oh man, um, I love it. Yeah, and Jim Kleinsasser earned the nickname the Beef for us. Yeah. We just we didn't even call him Kleinsasser. We just called him the Beef. And yeah. Uh, yeah, he was definitely he was definitely a group favorite. No, I love it, man. That's awesome. Um, all right, should we talk about how I how I got to my weird sports fandoms? Yeah. So, like, my story is that of I mean, it's it's sort of a like it's a hometown team thing. You know, grew yeah. up in a family wasn't big sports. Sports became my thing. Lived yes. in the neighborhood. Went to all these games. Like, I was there was just like a, a an attachment. You grew up in. Indiana, not super yeah. near any major teams. Yeah, middle of nowhere. So let's Ready do football go. first. That's the that's the easiest one to do in the sense that. So my parents were both from Chicago, and when they when they were raising me, like when I was young, I was born in '76. They were not all that far removed from having lived in Chicago. So. When my dad was young and a young dad, he cared about the Bears. This coincided with like the 85 Bears kind of being one of the funnest teams of all time to watch. Um, so I would say from like age zero to age like, I don't know, 17, 18 maybe, I love the Bears. Um, the Bears are my team. Walter Payton was my guy. Uh, he was my favorite. Singletary, I loved. Hampton, McMichael, mm-hmm. all those fun guys on Richard the Bears. Dent. Were Richard Dent, McMahon, you know. When um, you and you were at like the perfect age to love not only the the team but like the shtick. Well, dude, you, they had such big personalities. Yeah. It was almost like it was almost like watching pro wrestling. You know what I mean? Like they had personas. They each had you know distinct personas, distinct personalities. Peyton was the ultimate like babyface character. Uh, McMichael was a little bit of a heel, but he was our heel. You know, it was just a a really, really fun ride. But then after Peyton retired, I cried. It was 1987. I was 12 years old or 11 or something. I was 11. And Peyton retired. I'll never forget the iconic shot of him sitting on the bench at Soldier Field after his last game, like with his head in his hands. And I wept, dude. Um, but that was really kind of the end of the Bears for me. Shortly after that, Ditka retired. And the Bears went from like super fun, like pro wrestling team to so boring. Um, and they've really stayed in that space of being so incredibly boring ever since. They've never gotten interesting again. Yeah, but um, they had a couple years in the early 2000s, those like Erlacher led teams when they. They bordered on interesting, but were short a couple exciting yeah. players. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't ever have a quarterback during that era. That hurt them. Um, Erlacher was definitely the most interesting player that they had. Um, yeah, you're right. They were always a couple pieces short. So Peyton retiring really kind of dovetailed with another thing that happened in my childhood, which was the Colts moving to Indianapolis. So in 84, the Colts moved to Indianapolis and Pops and I started going to training camp every summer. Uh, Training camp was in Anderson, which was like a 30 minute drive from our house. So we would go to camp and this is when the Colts were like monumentally crappy. They were like a semi-pro team. They had no one. Um, In 87, they traded for Dickerson 
And that was exciting. A couple years later, they drafted Jeff George. But the the really charming thing about training camp was how lo-fi and low-key it was. Like, you just drove onto Anderson's campus, you parked, you walked out to the like the perimeter of the field, and you could just stand wherever watching them practice. And for a kid who just adored football, football was my life. That was life changing for me. And like the the players would let me like carry their their gear back to the locker room after practice, and it was incredible. It was like a dream. So I kind of became a Colts fan then. Um, Pops and I would go to games in the RCA Dome. He would take me to a game every year. It was always really special. Um, so yeah, the the Colts were a big part of like my middle school, high school years. I would say. Um, so I, I became kind of a fan there, but then like going to college, getting married, um, living overseas for a minute. And then when we got back from that, we ended up living in Michigan for 15 years. And this was where I became a parent and I started taking Tristan to games and we were in the Detroit media market. So I kind of became a Lions fan because Tristan did. And, you know, he really cared and Tristan's a passionate fan like whatever he's invested in he's invested a hundred percent so you know he kind of got on board with the misery this kind of cycle of like I'm a Lions fan so I'm miserable but I get really hopeful and I can't contain my hope and like he had a Roy Williams fat head on his wall in his room and he (laughs) had a he had a litany of like bad jersey purchases that I made for him where like he had a you know an Dominican Sioux jersey can, and a, can I ask you a quick question? Yeah. So yeah. thinking back this so this would have been early to mid aughts. Yeah. Um what would have been good a good jersey purchase from the Lions during that time? Yeah, I mean I think Calvin Johnson or Stafford. You know, yep. and he had okay. a he had a Calvin Johnson jersey, so we did that. Um and he never had a Stafford jersey, but I got to tell you, dude, I got on board with the Lions thing for a couple of reasons, and I'm still on board. Um, one, well-documented on this program, I love the uniform. I, I do. I just, I love the silver helmet, the lion, the Honolulu blue jersey, the silver pants. It's a beauty, dude. It's just a beaut. And moreover... Like, going to these games year after year. So I kind of instituted the deal that I had with Pops. So every year I would take Tris to a game. And Ford Field was a really nice place to watch a game. And the fan base was really cool. They were kind of this long-suffering but passionate fan base. And there was almost this understanding when you went to a Lions game that you were a part of something miserable, but you were in it together. And they were going to find a way to screw it up, and they always did. But it was kind of this, like, you know, we're, we're friends in the, in the suffering kind of thing. So I enjoyed yeah. the fan base. I enjoyed the stadium. I just enjoyed the whole experience. And I'm a Lions fan to this day because of it. But I'm also kind of a Pats fan. So part of, like, baked into the experience of being a Lions fan is that you have to have a team on the side. And because of Michigan and because of Brady, Tristan picked up the Patriots. And because I love football and because I love good football and because I love good coaching, I just have a fascination with those things. So I picked up the Patriots thing with him. 
And so we're we're kind of a two team family now. Uh, we love the Pats. We love the Lions. Um, the Pats thing has been, you know, kind of our our prime time and playoff team because the Lions never played in prime time and they never even sniffed the playoffs. So like, <laughs> you know, for the, the kind of the back half of the season, it slashed the playoffs. It was more of a Pats experience, and it's been really good, man. We've we've enjoyed. The whole thing. So that's kind of the history of my football fandom NFL was. Yeah, it's uh, that's did you I mean, was baseball, basketball a part of your life yeah. at all? Were you were you like you, you were a one sport guy, just sports monogamous? Well, I want to zip through favorite players football wise. Yeah, so okay. uh, for the Bears, it was Peyton for the Colts. It was this sort of tragic defensive lineman that they drafted when I was in high school named Steve Entman. And Steve Entman was dominant at the University of Washington. He was an all-time, like, look cool in the uniform guy, had a huge neck roll, was a huge guy, was incredibly dominant in college. And then he got to the pros and just went through this litany of, like, neck injury, knee injury, ACL. He was snake bit. He could never get healthy. And he always shows up on the all-time like bust list, and I always like I will I will fight for Steve Entman. Like if he had stayed healthy, he would have been phenomenal. So Entman was a favorite. We got late career Tony Mandarich on the Colts, which was awesome. Uh, he played guard, so they kicked him inside to guard. He had awesome tattoos. Was a super cool looking guy himself. Um, so I always enjoyed that. Um. Favorite Lions, I would have to say from that era, Dominic Riola, the center. I always liked Riola. <laughs> he was um, good. He was scrappy, kind of feisty, would always get in a couple fights. Um, and Pats-wise, whoever their like, try-hard white guy edge player was in the moment. So like Rob Ninkovich or... Wouldn't Vandenbosch play for them for a while? Well, we had Vandenbosch with the Lions. Yeah. I don't think Vandenbosch ever played with the Pats, which is weird. You'd think he would. I just heard. I mean, um, he's a white defensive end, and his name was Vanden something. I was like, he had exactly. He had to be yeah. like a fourth round pick of the Pats, right? I've always enjoyed pa- uh, Patriots fullbacks. So like James Devlin, yeah. Jakob Johnson. More recently, uh, we've had a litany of fun fullbacks. What, and the great Cash thing about Pats fullbacks is they always get their moment of glory. At least they did when Brady was quarterback yeah. because they because they love to scheme and so. In the third quarter of every game, people have forgotten the fullback exists, and so he's going to be open in the flat on a key third down or in the red zone yeah. or something. And those guys, those guys had their moment to shine. Dude, they do absolutely. Um, let's do basketball real quick. So here's my relationship with basketball, especially when I was a kid. So I played when I was a kid, but I didn't love it. I didn't love it even remotely, like a fraction of how much I love football. But I liked it. And I would always get out in the driveway and shoot. And I had friends in the neighborhood. We'd play one-on-one, two-on-two. So I was always kind of doing that in the winter. Basketball was in my life. Um, And growing up, I suppose it would have been the Bulls. Just because the Bulls were so good. They were always on TV. We had WGN. It was easy to watch a Bulls game. Um, So that was a part of my, like, growing up years. And I remember driving through Chicago to visit family and like there was always the guy in the corner selling like the knockoff Bulls t-shirts, um, which you probably caught the tail end of at Wheaton maybe, but 
Yeah. So I got to Wheaton around the time. It was like when the Bulls had been post Jordan had been horrific. Horrific. Like, yeah. And and so this, I got there for like, you know, Kirk Heinrich, Ben Gordon, Eddie Curry, (laughs) Tyson Chandler into the Derrick Rose era. So the tail end of, I mean, I lived in Chicago for almost 12 years. So I kind of covered a couple of eras. But it was the like yeah. trying to rebuild and then getting competitive, and so I was yeah. there for like the peak of the Tom Thibodeau, Derrick Rose years to towards the yeah. end of my time in Chicago, and uh, yeah. those those were fun. I mean, Rose was yeah. spectacular, but yeah, I didn't I didn't catch the peak. Like I wasn't there during like Bulls mania, Jordan's Jordan's era, that kind of thing. Yeah, they they kind of fell off the same boring cliff that the Bears did. In that they were the most interesting thing in maybe all of pro sports for like a decade. And then the minute Jordan left, they got super boring. Yeah. Um, and they've been boring ever since. They've been some version of boring. Even with Derrick Rose, they were boring. They just were. Um, so early 2000s, I got into the Pistons thing because we were living in Michigan. I was covering the Pistons. So I, I kind of got to know some of the players and I was comfortable going to the palace and doing the media thing, but it really never took, like it really never took as a fan and I would go and, you know, from time to time we would get tickets and take the boys and I don't know, but it, it never really like took root on an emotional level, I which I, is weird. I think there's a, so I, I heard, I heard a couple of years ago, something like the music you like when you're 19 is the music you yeah. like for the rest of your life. Something mm-hmm. along those lines. Yeah. And you know, I look back on it and out. I'm like that, that's fairly accurate. Um, yeah. I kind of think the same is true for a window of time in sports. Like yeah. the teams you love, the players you love. Like, so I mentioned earlier, Kevin Garnett was my favorite player. I said, Anthony Edwards could become a second favorite player. And then I thought about it and I'm like, but he won't because yeah. I can't have a favorite player who's, 18 years younger than me. Yeah, you know, exactly. That's just, it, it's it, weird. It's a yeah. different phase in life. Like my sports fandom means something very different and there's not the same sort of like rabid attachment. So it makes sense that when, you know, you became a dad, you started to find mm-hmm. enjoyment in sharing experiences, but not like rabidly attaching yourself to the Pistons. Cause you're like, well, I'm, I'm covering the team. So there's a bit of neutrality there. Uh, yeah. I'm taking my kids to the game. I want him to have a good time. It's just, it's a totally different engagement type of thing yeah i think being a young dad is sort of the worst time in your life to be an enthusiast for anything like i look back on those years with great fondness and there was a lot that i like introduced tristan to in those years but i also look back on those as years of like great exhaustion and not much in the tank for anything besides parenting and working um, you know, you're just kind of in survival mode during those years. A lot of times you don't have a lot of money and it's like, we weren't going to get season tickets to anywhere. You know, we were just kind of trying to make it, trying to get by. Um, so it was a bad time to be an enthusiast pipe. Let's take a break and then we'll come back. We'll talk through baseball and college. All right, we're back. Um, let's do baseball. Let's talk about the Mariners thing and how I got there. Um, yeah, I think that's the most random of all of these because the others really are like random, dude. There's a there's a thread of childhood and parenting and geography, and then Mariners. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so baseball, like to my to my great detriment, I really didn't become an appreciator of baseball until about a decade ago. 
like again, I played a little bit when I was a little kid. I was bored. I was bored with it. Um, so I really didn't get into like, you know, watching the Cubs on WGN or watching the Braves on TBS, both of which would have been options for me, right? So kid growing up in the cornfield in Indiana, you got the two super stations. So I could have chosen either of those teams and I didn't. Um, but about a decade ago, like once my kids hit a certain age and once I realized, it, it really, this coincides with being a professor, come to think of it. Once I became a professor and I had a more relaxed summer, I really got into baseball and I got into the rhythms of like watching a couple of innings every night. So I put out an APB, I think on this program, yeah, if I'm was, not mistaken. It was through this program. Yeah. So I put out an APB through this program and I was like, win me over to your fan base. Because by that time we were, we were either still in Michigan and wrapping that up or we were down here in West Tennessee. And there's like no sort of logical team to root for down here. Um, we are far away. So you meet Braves fans down here. You meet a lot of Cardinals fans. I guess Cardinals would have been the most logical. But I, I put the APB out. I was looking for a cool uniform, a cool city, a growth industry, a fun GM, um, some fun guys on the roster. And so I, I kind of hopped on board the Mariners thing and have never looked back. And it's been... Here's the thing about being a Mariners fan, and I was thinking this through before we got on the program. It's a lot like being a Cleveland Browns fan in that I feel like in a lot of cases, we have the most interesting offseason, right? Like, oh, we made 14 trades and we got James Paxton and when it when his arm's not falling off, he throws a 110 miles an hour or whatever, and it never works out. So it, it, being a Mariners fan is an exercise in having a really fun offseason and then being 500 or slightly below during the season. <laughs> and it's really disappointing. Um, but it's been fun, man. And, and I realize with that, it's not even so much about them. It's about just having some baseball to watch and check in on from time to time. Like, that's the aspect of it that I like. And it's... Baseball is a sport where, like... So, I mean, I've been a Twins fan since, like, longer than I can remember. Yeah. And that that makes me a fan of baseball. <clears throat> like yeah. having a team to attach yourself to is really valuable in terms of like I want to follow baseball because like on any given night. So I, I subscribe to the the MLB streaming package because I live in Nashville yeah. and there are no teams here, so right. um, I have to kind of <clears throat> make make my own access to it. And I'm not great. Like I don't want to tune in necessarily and watch like Mets Pirates, even though yeah. like Max Scherzer might be pitching or something like that. And having a team where you're like five nights a week or more i can i can turn them on and just kind of have them on in the background while i you know am making dinner or hanging out after dinner or whatever and it's just kind of relaxed is baseball's maybe the best ambiance sport it really is dude and it's it's fun it's fun to be just mildly invested in it and it's a great sport for like following you know you get to check in you can have the app on your phone you can see how your favorite pitcher did but it doesn't require a lot of like deep emotional investment like i'm not getting yeah. mad when the mariners lose like i i don't i don't care at that level but i care enough to check in and enjoy it and like decide from year to year which players i like who's fun who am i going to kind of get excited about the career of you know and then 
inevitably they get traded, uh, which is the downside of Mariners fandom. But um, yeah, having some baseball in your life is a good thing for almost anybody, I think. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I think it's, uh, I mean, I I care about how the Twins do as a fan. But it is, yeah. it is I remember when you became a baseball fan, like, in in April, you know, it's like April 20th. So we're three <laughs> weeks into the season. You text me and you're like, how do you do this? Yeah. Because yeah. you had like the pacing of a football fan in, in your mind. Yeah. Like every game is you're locked in, you're screaming at the TV, you're living and dying by third down conversions. And are they going to get right, off the field dude. here and those kinds of things. And in baseball, you just got to sit back and like, if it's a May game and they're down four in the seventh inning, you're like, man, a comeback would be nice. But like, yeah. It's all right, we got another one tomorrow. And yeah, uh I'm not counting on it. You know, if it happens, it happens. I re- I remember you having to kind of learn the 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 fan muscle memory of how do I take it easy and enjoy this versus like frothing at the mouth six yeah. nights a week. Yeah, dude, it's so true. And it's it's part of though like the the joy of learning how to do it, you know, and and I remember when I became a baseball fan, there was a sense of like learning how to do this is part of the fun. Like, so I'm, yeah, I'm buying the Jersey. I'm getting the gear, but I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm deciding which podcasts I like and I'm deciding, you know, which players I like and who I'm going to invest in. And, and, you know, all those things that are like fun and joyful about being, um, a baseball fan. That's part of it. So for anybody out there, who's undecided or not a baseball fan it's uh it's a it's a good time you should give it a try um i think it's good pipe let's take a break and we'll come back and do a quick segment on favorite stadium experiences across the sports all right we're back um that was super fun actually i i don't know that i'd ever thought in that much detail about why i've liked the teams that i've liked but uh, doing that was a good. It was a good exercise, and it and it kind of got me thinking about past experiences, fun experiences, um, ways that we've enjoyed sports over the years. And I, I want you to like talk me through some of your favorite like stadium yeah. arena experiences. It could be because of the people you were with, or the magnitude of the game that you saw, or whatever. Um, anything come to mind? Yeah, a couple different things. So I'll, I'll start with. Um... I'll kind of go by by uh, by era, you know. So yeah. when I was a kid, the only stadium was the Metrodome. That's where all the nice. teams played, and the Metrodome sucks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As a as a as a or it, it did before they blew it up because it was that yeah. bad. But it was an awesome home field advantage. Yeah. So like when the Twins were good, and there was fifty thousand people in there screaming. It was deafening. So like just that experience of the home field, same with the Vikings, same with the Gophers, yeah. although they were really good. Like just an an absolutely uh cacophonous mm-hmm. uh experience. And uh so so just as a as a thing, that was fantastic. Um I'd say that maybe the coolest experience I ever had in terms of like just pinnacle sports experience was um 1998 October it's a Monday night football game um my dad uh the guy who did publicity for Multnomah Publishing at the time was a former Packers player oh man and he reached out to my dad and said hey 
is anybody, are you a football fan? Is anybody in your family a football fan? Would you like to go to the Vikings Packers Monday night football game at Lambeau field? Um, and my dad initially goes, I'm not really a football fan. And then he thought about it for a second. He's like, <laughs> but my son would kill like eight baby seals to do this thing. So yeah, yes, we're in. And, uh, and so we flew up there in a little four seater, uh, prop plane landed in, in, uh, green Bay, go out to nice. dinner with this guy, another Packers player who I can't remember his alignment, who was on the injured list at the time. And then a bunch of other big wigs at, at Tony Roma's, you know, like wow. a, a bad barbecue joint. Yeah. And then went to the game and it was the game. It was Randy Moss's breakout game. You know, oh, man, on, I remember that game. Yes. I remember that very game. And uh, so Randall Cunningham, Randy Moss, I think he had, I, th- I think he had like four catches for 150 yards and two touchdowns, but it was like yeah. two 60-yard touchdowns. And I, I remember because we were kind of at the corner of the end zone up, up, up a little bit. And, and one of his touchdowns was right on the sideline, right in front of us, like coming at us. And uh, yeah. so, I mean, I'm, and I remember like halfway through the game, my dad leans over and he goes, do not say anything that is going to get us hurt. Yeah. Because <laughs> he knew I, I've got a mouth on me. The Vikings yeah. are just putting it on the Packers. It was also a game where they beat, they broke something like a 34 or 36 game home winning streak by Brett Favre. Wow. Which, again, just, just glee and joy in my heart over this. So that was probably the, the greatest single game experience. And then two other quick ones that come to mind. Mm -hmm. Um, One was I used to travel a lot for work uh, and for, for sales and conferences and stuff when I was in Mm -hmm. publishing. And um, I always tried to go to baseball games in different cities. Nice. And so one of those times I got to go to Pittsburgh uh, for, for a sales call and it was when the pirates were they're They're bad again, but it was when they were especially bad and had, had been for like 20 years Got a $10 ticket to PNC Park. You know, I park on one side of the river, walk across the Roberto Clemente Bridge, mm-hmm. go in. I'm one of like 78 people in the stadium. So each yeah. inning, I sat in a different place and between innings, oh. would just walk around. And let nice. me tell you, PNC Park is one of the most beautiful yeah. ball game watching experiences I have ever had. Um, yeah. Just spectacular. Um, so. Highly recommend it to anybody going, but just the chance to kind of like, and, and the ushers didn't care. Cause like, what are we going to chase you back to your seat when yeah. you're, you're definitely, definitely not taking anybody's seat. If you come down to the third row on the third baseline. Um, yeah. The last one was once my kids were old enough, getting to start to take them to baseball games. Um, yeah. We've, we've basically lived in minor league cities. They got to go to a couple like twins, white Sox games when we lived in Chicago, but they barely remember that. Um, so we try to go to a couple minor league games every year, Nashville Sounds yeah. or whatever city we're in. And uh, I've gotten to take them to Target Field um, with some nice. of my cousins and stuff when we're in Minneapolis. And they're not big baseball fans, but yeah. they know how much I love it. And they love yeah. they love being at the game. Like it is a, they, have a, they have a ton of fun. And so even now, like spring rolled around and my 16 year old was rolls in one day waving something in her hand she's like i got the sound schedule so oh nice she, like she they, they're they're already trying to plan it for this for this year so um that's super that's cool. that stuff has been it's kind of it's kind of the transference of my enjoyment to them which is a ton of fun it is a ton of fun and that's like that's the super joyful part about parenting 
and it's what was joyful about being a kid. So like all these, all these like best experience stories for me, like center around my dad. So my dad was a pilot. Um, he was like a, like a charter pilot. So he flew corporate planes and like twin engine turboprops and he would fly people around here and there. But he had a client one time give him a pair of tickets to uh, a Pacers game. And, you know, my dad flew out of Fort Wayne. So it was this night where he had to fly to Fort Wayne, land in Indianapolis. The clients were going to the Pacers game and he, he kind of like snuck me on. And he cleared it with them, obviously, but I was able to like make the trip with him, which was like a 20 minute flight from, you know, Fort Wayne to Indy, but it was a market square arena. It was back when the Pacers had that awesome kind of pre Reggie Miller uniform. Um, it was really blocky, really bright market square was fun. Um, and they played the Derek Coleman nets. So the Drazen Petrovic, Derek oh, Coleman, with that great uniform, dude. that thing was a beaut, dude. Oh, first of all, that's um, that's an that's an ABA legend game right there. Pacers Nets, absolutely. That's yeah, fantastic. it was awesome. And we we had better tickets than we could have ever afforded on our own. They were like third row behind the Nets bench, and I, I remember the game. Obviously, was fun, but like the feeling of feeling like a VIP with my dad. You know, like we're we're doing this right, and we're doing this like a couple of high rollers. Um, that was an awesome experience. Uh, aforementioned, we went to Colts games together every season. There was one that we went to. I would have been in like high school, and it was a regular season game, and they played the Raiders, and it was a night game, and it was the late career Jerry Rice was on the Raiders, and... Um, Pops and I would always get there like insanely early and we'd go down as low as we could and watch warm up. So we were on like the f- the front row of the Raiders end zone watching Jerry Rice warm up, this Hall of Famer. And there were these two dirtbags, these two like Indianapolis dirtbags who had been at the bar with Jerry Rice the night before. And they were hanging over the railing screaming like basically Jerry, like, do you remember us from the bar? And... Apparently, Jerry Rice had let these guys put on a Super Bowl ring and the the whole thing. So um, that was a fun night. And just there would always be some idiot fan in your section. So we'd always go home just like laughing and telling stories about whatever had happened at, at the Hoosier Dome that night. And then I got to play in the Hoosier Dome as a junior in high school, which was really fun. Um, so those are good memories, good football memories. One of my favorite college football memories with my dad was taking a recruiting visit to Indiana. And it was like the biggest school that was interested in me. And they were like barely interested. You know what I mean? But Mm -hmm. enough to like invite me in for a visit. And I was going to be like a preferred walk-on or something like that. There was no money involved. But we drove down there in the winter. There was snow on the grounds. And they gave me kind of like the royal treatment, you know, the, like we got to go into the theater and watch the highlight film of their previous season. It, it was like, very short. It was short. Yeah. Indiana football in the 90s, you know, um, but we got to walk out onto the the turf of the stadium and they showed us the locker room and the, the gear and like I was on cloud nine. And it's one of the few times that I could like tell that my dad was proud of me um, because he was he was 
you know, pretty tight-lipped about stuff like that. Like a Midwestern Christian dad's worst nightmare is like having an arrogant son. You know, so like Pops' greatest fear in life was me like getting a big head, you know. Yes. So he he like doubled down on making sure that wouldn't happen. But uh he kind of allowed himself to enjoy that day. And um as a result, I enjoyed it. It was pretty fun. But don't um, let it go to your head, Ted. Well, exactly. Did did your parents have the same like maniacal fear of you ever feeling good about yourself? <laughs> Um, I mean, I have three older brothers, so they did a pretty good job of, uh, humbling slash humiliating me. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, I, to a degree, but at the same time, I think, uh, I think my dad was more afraid of me getting rich than he was of me getting proud. Interesting. I, I remember. Why was him, he afraid of you getting rich? I, this, this is a conversation for the other podcast. Um, yeah. but he, I remember him saying, like, one of the worst things I can imagine happening to you is that you is that you get wealthy. Like, he just wow. he firmly believes that being wealthy uh, is just leads you into all sorts of temptation, love of money, and whatever. Like, I yeah, he's he's right in a sense, and he's he's wrong in a sense. Yeah. but uh, yeah, but yeah, he was not. He wasn't a gushing like. I'll say yeah. this. He was a very present dad when it came to like yeah. sporting events. He was a loud voice on the sidelines and not a critical voice. Mm-hmm. Like I, I didn't, uh, it wasn't like, Oh no, dad's harping on me again. Yeah. But he always offered more feedback than praise. Uh huh. You know, it wasn't like yeah. big hugs, great game, son, whatever. It was always like, you know, you, you could have given more. You, you could have gotten yeah. lower. You could have hit harder. You know, you didn't <laughs> yeah. stay down on that yeah. ground ball. And not like nitpicking. It wasn't like a film session. Right. It was just, it was, I was always one or two points, which I think was him living vicariously through me, you know, wish, sure. wishing he could go back and play better kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah, there was, yeah. It, it had the same effect where it wasn't just like, it was, there wasn't a lot of good job, buddy. It was, it was yeah. a lot more driving than it was that kind of thing. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. And, yeah, I think as a parent, I've I've consciously kind of, I've tried to hit that sweet spot of I don't want them to get a big head. So like his impulse was correct, you know, it was a, it was a good impulse, but I also want them to feel like I notice when they do a good job, yeah. and you know, so that's that's been interesting to navigate on this end. But uh, it's been it's been helpful to me on that front. My kids both do things that I know nothing about. Um, mm-hmm. one of them swims and one of them is in dance and yeah, like had they played that's really great soccer or basketball or even, like any sport that I know how to do, I a hundred percent would have been up in their business about technique, about trying hard about on this play, this could have gone better. I don't know anything about swimming. So yeah. I like, I can talk to her about pushing herself, yeah. but not about like, Hey, on your, on your flip turn, you did X and Y wrong. I'm like, I don't know. That's the coach's <laughs> yeah. job. So uh, and then obviously the same thing with dance. So it's, it, it has actually helped me move into a more balanced, like be an encouragement, help them improve, but yeah. not like be up in their ear all the time. Dude, my most enjoyable season ever as a sports parent was one year that my kid played tennis and he was in middle school. He just decided, you know what? I'm playing tennis. I'm doing it. He had never played before. I knew nothing about the sport, obviously. <laughs> But I remember going to these tennis matches and like it was it was a really nice time of the year down here, you know, kind of spring. 
it's starting to warm up, but it's not beastly hot. And I remember like sitting along the fence watching this game that I knew nothing about. And you never know the score. Like there's no scoreboard. There's no clock. It's a super weird scoring system. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know if my kid's winning. I don't know if he's losing, but he seems to be doing well. He seems to be having a good time. It was just, it was really nice. And, you know, but like, I think almost every football experience for my kid, I've probably ruined, you know, and I've got, I've gotten better about ruining it as I've gotten older, but, uh, I know I cared about that way too much. But, um, you know, he, he still loves me or seems to. So maybe, maybe we got through it in one piece. But um, I feel like I had one more. Oh, I've got one more quick, like, great stadium experience with my dad. And this one's super random. And you'll probably relate to it having lived in Chicago. So being that my parents are from Chicago, we would take these trips there from time to time to see family. And we would always stop... For some reason, we would always stop at this huge sports store in Merrillville called Sport Mart. Do you remember Sport Mart? I do. I used to go shop. At, there was a Sport Mart in the Twin Cities, and I, that was where I got a ton of my gear growing up. Yeah. Dude, I love Sport Mart. So, like, being a kid from a small town, I didn't ever have a, access to an elite sporting goods store like that. So, we stop at Sport Mart. We're browsing one day. This is, like, early spring, so it's still freezing in Chicago. And... We enter our names into this drawing to win free White Sox tickets. And, you know, we're writing our names down. We throw them in the pot. We're both just like, har, har. We never win anything. You know, whatever. This is nothing. And then lo and behold, like 10 minutes later, they call our names over the loudspeaker. We had won a pair of Sox tickets. So we drive into the city. (laughs) We go to this Sox game. And... The seats are roughly like a mile and a half up in the sky. And if you if <laughs> And that you, is the one of the steepest upper decks. Oh my gosh, dude. Yeah, you feel like if you bend over to like retie your shoelace, you're going to plummet to your death in that stadium. And the stadium is charmless. It's in a charmless place. Like was it this, was Was this a, old Comiskey or new Comiskey? This is new Comiskey. Yeah. Yeah, this is new yes. Comiskey, which was like US Cellular Park or whatever. And it was April, so it was like uh, 37 degrees, yep. you know, and the wind's blowing sideways like 50 miles an hour and we're a mile and a half up. And our one memory of that experience was that like there was a little kid in our section wearing shorts and his, he kept ordering Dove bars, like these ice cream bars from the vendor. And my dad and I were both just like, this kid is like a superhero. It's 37 degrees. He's wearing shorts. He's eating ice cream. Not a care in the world. Um, that was a fun day. That but, that uh, sounds like one of the most south side of Chicago kids I can imagine. They were they were denim yeah. shorts too, weren't they? He was definitely wearing shorts. Yeah. yeah, it was like a young Gardner <laughs> Minshew, probably. Yeah, you know, <laughs> like nothing hurts this kid. Yeah, when when I but, lived in uh, Chicago, you know, twin, Twins and White Sox are in the same division, so the Twins would come through two or three times a year, and so I'd try to get to two or three games if I could, and it always worked in my favor because. Um, for a lot of that time, both those teams were, were fairly competitive, and uh, and so they were good games. It was a rivalry. They didn't like each other at all. And White Sox tickets were pretty cheap, so I could get seats you know, for like 10 bucks. And But when yeah. you get the $10 seats, it means you're sitting with the other people who can only afford the $10 seats, yet yeah. somehow they can afford to get absolutely lit. And so yeah. 
Yeah, just the the number of drunken encounters I had at White Sox games was astounding. You know, oh yeah, my life threatened. Had people threatened to like cut my gizzard out and like, well, absolutely. And it yeah. it always made me laugh because I'm like, I mean, I know people get beat up outside this stadium, but but also <laughs> like I'm I'm sitting here and you're like I'm gonna bleep and cut your bleep and bleep 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 and I'm it, it just it yeah just, it's always just made me laugh every time. Well. Yeah, it's very much a stadium, too, where walking into it and walking out of it, going to and from your car, you have a very tangible sense of, like, I could get stabbed here. Like, I could get, like, no context stabbed here, you know? Like, it might just happen to me. And, um, yeah, it, it was, a, it's, a, all in all, it's a very menacing place. <laughs> the sun's never out there, never. you know, like... Yeah, so you're walking in, it's it's dark, you know, even though it's two in the afternoon, it's dark, and uh, yeah, that was the whole thing. I got one more quick one. This is just a weird venue, boxing and basketball-related memory. So, the night of Malice in the Palace in Detroit, which was the game where Ron Artest famously climbed into the stands and beat up some some people... Um, that was the year I was doing a lot of piston stuff and I could have been at that game, but I chose instead to go to Merrillville, Indiana to cover a boxing match. And it was in some crappy like hotel ballroom in Merrillville. And it was around Christmas time. And the name of the card was seasons beatings. Like instead of seasons, <laughs> greetings, seasons beatings, which I thought was so clever. And, uh, I was delighted with myself for going to a boxing match. Cause I, I love live boxing and I took KK with me like early in our marriage before we would have kids. Whenever I would go anywhere to cover anything, I would just always take her with me and we'd get a hotel and kind of make a thing out of it, which was fun. But I remember covering the card and then going back to the room that night and flipping on like sports center and realizing that like the most historic NBA thing in a decade had happened and <laughs> Our test would have been like climbing over my seat on press row to get to the guy that he beat up. And I was like, yeah. oh my gosh, I can't believe I missed this thing. You that's, know? Yeah, Huge. that's one of only a handful of sport things off the top of my head that I'm like, I remember exactly where I was when I saw it. Yeah. Like it was yeah, that exactly. shocking. Because it, I mean, it, it, uh, it broke all the paradigms. You didn't know yeah, it that. It was crazy. Like that, you didn't know that, that that could happen, that an athlete could even consider doing that. It's a little yeah. bit like when Latrell Sprewell choked PJ Carlissimo, except that that happened in private, <laughs> and then you heard about it. And yeah. All of a sudden, you're like, "Wait, ath athletes can do this. This is wild." Yeah. No, I know it. Um, yeah, it was a remarkable thing. But I can tell you, having you know sat down there a whole bunch, they served at the time. They served hard liquor in that section, so it was all these like Detroit guys with money sitting down there ordering these like you know nine dollar cocktails just pounding them one after the other and getting increasingly obnoxious and i definitely remember thinking to myself it's shocking that one of these players hasn't like wheeled around and just smashed one of these dudes in the face <laughs> and lo and behold it happened um you know not terribly surprising as it turns out but um but yeah uh good Good sports memories, Pipe. Oh, so many. Um, yeah, we. You got any more before we close it? Oh, I'm trying to think. Well, let me ask you this. You know, you're you're yeah. a uh, you're you've adopted the Mariners as your team now for the last several years. Yeah. Have you had a chance to go to their stadium? 
which you know I, I think used to be called Safeco, but I don't know if it still is. Yeah, it's not. It's called something else, and I'm blanking on it, which is embarrassing. I, I want to say it's like a cell phone carrier. Yeah. T-Mobile. It's T-Mobile Park. Oh, that's exciting. Which I feel like 14 baseball teams have the stadium called T-Mobile Park, so not terribly unique. But it, it looks like a beautiful stadium. It looks like a lot of fun. If I'm not mistaken, like the patio of it just kind of looks out over the water, which is really cool. So we had, we had sort of semi-planned to go out to Seattle last year, or maybe it was the year before. It was during COVID, and Seattle got real sort of uh, communistic during COVID, and it just looked like a, a not fun place to go to. And so we, we kind of moved off of it as a destination point, and uh, we should probably move back onto it, though, because I'd, I'd like to get out for a Mariners game. We even last year kind of, last spring we toyed with, well, what if we go down to Peoria for some spring training games? And we decided to go to Vegas instead. So um, it, it hasn't happened yet, but I would like for it to happen. Yeah, I, I went out there one time and uh, this would have been 2008 or <laughs> nine. And mm-hmm. uh, I was I was working with Crossway Books at the time, and we we published Mark Driscoll. So I uh, okay, we went out there for a sales meeting Drisky. with Driscoll and and uh, his team, and mm-hmm. a bunch of us from Crossway went to a Mariners. It turns out to be a Mariners Twins games, and I got to see Felix nice. Hernandez pitch against Johan Santana in Safeco. And uh, oh, dude! And the Twins lost on a walk off homer by Richie Sexton. You remember Richie Sexton? Yeah, oh yeah, that big Absolutely. like six eight first baseman who was had a few just monster yep. years. Um, yeah, it was. It's a beautiful ballpark. I'd put it in the top top two or three that I've been to. Yeah, dude, that's awesome. Yeah, I I really need to get out there at some point, and I'd love to just see the Mariners play in person, whether it's regular season, spring training, whatever. But uh, Pipe, this has been a blast, man. Uh, you know I'm always down for some sports nostalgia and storytelling. It was fun to talk about favorite yeah. guys from our childhoods and I, um, I saw, all that stuff. I saw a tweet the other day, and I think a couple different people have tweeted this. It's gone viral every time, but um, mm-hmm. a woman tweeted and said, guys in their 30s and 40s can literally sit around for hours just naming athletes from their childhood. Dude, it's so true. And then yeah. it's like 8,000 replies of random athletes from our childhood. <laughs> yeah. Just, and, yeah. and I'm like, that, that pretty much sums up what we do on this podcast. It really is, man. And uh, it's a lot of fun. Like, I, I, I really enjoy that process. And so that tweet, while it's, it's clever, um, I, I feel, yeah, I feel that it's very accurate. Like, I would, I would almost rather sit around and say, names of old athletes than do almost anything else at this point. Oh yeah. So uh, it's a good time. Um, and we, we've done what we always do on this program, Piper, and that we have had a good time basically doing that. And until next time. Thank you for listening to the Happy Rant Sports Podcast. Be sure to visit thehappyrant.com to check out our merchandise, learn more about upcoming live events, and listen to past episodes. Our world can feel chaotic and uncertain. 
but we don't have to live enslaved to fear. Christ has promised me and you his peace, and throughout scripture has provided powerful tools and practical steps to help us experience greater freedom. I'm Jennifer Slattery, lead host of the Faith Over Fear podcast, inviting you to join me and my team as together we learn how to starve our fears and feed our faith. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com or wherever you access podcast content.